We've seen how the Lord brought his people out. We've seen how the Lord provided for his people supernaturally. We've seen how the Lord brought them to bring offerings to build his tabernacle, a place where he would meet with them, called the Tent of Meeting also, a precursor to the temple, the solid building that was a fixed location in Jerusalem. This was the portable precursor for that. We saw how the offerings were delineated or described in detail up until what the Lord wanted to reveal in Sinai, or at Sinai, in the book of Exodus. Then we read recently about the priesthood who were to mediate between the people and the God who dwelt in holiness in that tent of meeting in the tabernacle. We found the approach to the tabernacle from the courtyard with the altar of burnt offering, then the bronze lever, and then the entrance to the tabernacle, the priests alone could go in. We saw the table of showbread, the incense altar, and the golden lampstand on the left side of that first portion of the tabernacle the holy place and then the most holy place divided by a veil or curtain where the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat was where God's presence would be there meeting with the high priest once a year would go in to seek atonement for himself and the people lately we've been looking at the furniture that the Lord gave to build and the approach of the priests to go in to literally wash their bodies and also wash their hands and feet God instituting just as we recall in Exodus earlier when he came down on Mount Sinai and the whole place the top of the mountain was burning with fire because it says the Lord descended on it and he told the people how to sanctify themselves because they were going to have this intimate meeting with him they saw a portion of his glory the thunder, the lightnings, the mountain quaking, the earthquake there, the trumpet sound of a ram's horn or the shofar horn, a blast that kept going louder and louder, the smoke like of a furnace. They witnessed God coming down to give the Torah, to give the law, and they're supposed to prepare themselves. And so we are called to sanctify ourselves and not to come without checking ourselves, but to come in God's mercy to receive the word. And the last chapter, chapter 30, we saw the particular ingredients in the holy anointing oil and the incense. Now both were quite aromatic with a sweet aroma. We saw how it's befitting for the presence of God to have that aroma, as well as the use of gold, fine gold, and the olive oil that was beaten to supply the fuel for the light in the candle. Now we see the selection of the people who are going to build this tabernacle that was described by God according to a certain pattern and commanded through Moses to the people to build it according to what God showed on the mountain. Exodus chapter 31. Somebody would like to read Exodus chapter 31 as the Lord selects the artisans or specially skilled people build. Exodus chapter 31 verses 1 to 11. If someone has a good connection, you have a clear voice this morning, if you'd read loud enough and slow enough for us. Exodus 31, 1 to 11. Let's hear the word of God. Praise the Lord, Pastor. Is my voice audible? 
Yes, I can hear Prashant. Praise God. Exodus chapter 31, verses 1 through 11, NLT version. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel's son of Uri, grandson of Hur of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in craving wood. He is a master at every craft. And I have personally appointed Oholiab, son of Abhisamak of the tribe of Dan, to be his assistant. Moreover, I have given special skill to all the gifted craftsmen so they can make all the things I have commanded you to make. The tabernacle, the Ark of Covenant, the Ark's cover, the place of atonement, all the furnishings of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its accessories, the incense altar, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the wash basin with its stand, the beautifully stitched garments, the sacred garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons to wear as a minister as priest, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense for the holy place. The craftsmen must make everything as I have commanded you. Praise God. Praise the Lord. We see God supplying these men. The primary person was this man named Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. This tribe through which the Lord Jesus came and one of the tribes that were in the forefront was in the forefront of Israel's procession. God chose this man whose name Bezalel means in the protection or in the shadow of God. A befitting name for one who would do the work of God under his protection, his guidance, his divine appointment. And his chief assistant was this man, Ahaliab, son of Hesmach, of the tribe of Dan, who actually was in the rear part of the procession of Israel when they moved. God taking someone from the forefront and the tribal preeminence or prominence and then taking someone of a lesser prominence in the tribe of Dan, which was among the three tribes that were in the rear guard of the whole formation of the Israelites on the field. God selecting representatives that would truly represent all of Israel. No one could question or charge God with being unfair. First of all, this is appointment. But also God choosing people to be appropriate representations of the entire people of Israel. One from the top or the forefront, if you will, one from the bottom or the rear guard, representing the whole span or range of the 12 tribes. Now this person, Bezalel, 
or some people say Bezalel, was the one that's highlighted with being filled by God with the Spirit of God specifically for craftsmanship or workmanship. It says in wisdom, the wisdom the man possessed was not human wisdom. As far as this workmanship was involved, when it says that the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge doesn't mean that he had all the capability Moses had to lead the people, no. But the Spirit of God supplied what he needed divinely for the execution and the construction and the completion of this pattern shown to Moses that was conveyed to the people. And he was the person in charge. What did he do? Verse 4, to design artistic works, all kinds of beautiful carving, beautiful embroidery, all kinds of things that would be headed up by him, as well as cutting jewels for setting. We know the breast plate or breast piece of Aaron's garment would have stones He'd have stones on his shoulder, these precious gems. And of course, the carving of the various utensils and most importantly, the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony. And Ahaliab simply means Father's tent or in the tent of Father. Nothing specific, but uh, that is compared to what the name of Bezalel or Bezalel means, nothing specific to supernatural blessing. And nonetheless, he was chosen as an assistant. He was also given wisdom. Amongst the gifted artisans, so they can help in making this tabernacle of meeting or tent of meeting. Verse 7, the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furniture of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, going from the inside out, from the most holy place and coming out, the altar of incense then outside of the tabernacle the altar of burnt offering and uh, going one step back toward the tabernacle the laver in its base as well as the attire, the garments for the people who would come to be priests holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of the sons minister as priests and the anointing oil and sweet incense the holy place every single detail was spoken described by God how it should be and so in the house of God today in the work of the ministry God provides the right people to do his work and the devil also has provision to bring people to corrupt the work and to misrepresent God and God watches he doesn't always act immediately but He allows some things to go on for some time and then he acts. You'll see a lot of that as uh, we proceed to study the life of Moses and Aaron and Joshua. How the people would directly or indirectly rise up against the people that God chose to compete and to show up and to defeat despise and slander and God would come and he would defend the honor of the people he had appointed and anointed for the work and so we see the divine involvement God's involvement this was not merely a blueprint that Moses was given on the mountain and that was it they were supposed to do the best they could go find everything and 
you know, you pick who you are, whoever you want and just make it work. God's not that kind of person. He's very involved and it behooves us to pay close attention and to see that he's so interested and so involved to ask him every step of the way. Otherwise, we can make a mistake. It's written in Ephesians 4 for the work of the ministry he gave the fivefold offices or descriptions to fulfill the work that God has for the church to train, equip, to direct, to superintend, and to nurture, to warn all these things so that his people can do the work that God wants them to do in the way that he wants them to do it. So in our lives also, we can know that God makes full provision. Who of us can ever say that God ever shortchanged us or ever failed to meet our expectation for the necessities of life? God has been so good. His nature is to be generous and loving and kind. He's done more than we could ever ask or imagine. And he's the God of wonders. He's done miracles. I recall in our church, one of the sisters and brothers, one of them who were moved closer to the church by the divine prophecy and provision of God, Specifically through Pastor Kuruba, step by step, right into Port Jarvis. And they were given a place which, according to prophecy from the servant of God, far exceeded where they were staying in another state nearby. And I remember distinctly during the time we went there, the place was not at all inhabitable, it was in construction, and much work needed to be done, much dilapidation of the property within where they were going to stay, but an expensive place. And the prophecy came as we stood around praying through Pastor Gurba, specifically for this family. As they charted this territory that they never embarked upon before, Following the counsel of God. Now, the devil came with other detours and other persuasions to try to keep them from that, but the servant of God continued to minister out of God's love and direct by God's guidance, and they got on board. And when they did, the prophecy came in that upper room where we stood around praying that the owner would provide by God's providence everything they needed for the construction for the building of the place in a grand way exactly as the word of prophecy came when there was no particular favor with this person it was a stranger and actually we had to recommend our people to this man and he asked their character reference for them and we assured him that everything is fine but you see the divine input of God the intervention of God the willingness of God and it takes someone to be able to be anointed to hear from God and then to have the heart to minister for the people to the people what God has And the prophetic word comes to edify and to charge and to bolster the faith. See how good and great God is. And sure enough, the testimony was repeatedly from a brother who was working on that upper room. That everything he ever needed and asked. This uh, man would provide almost like a blank check. See the parallel in our lives. How God means for us to have a place to do primarily worship Him. 
everything God gives to us is to direct us and to help us in worshiping him. Anything that leads us astray from that is of the devil to try to destroy not only the work of God, but us. And we need to be able to choose between the two, discern and engage in obeying God's voice so that he can do the addition and the deletion. It's very, very important in our lives to pay attention and not to be aloof on that or to forget what God has done and what he has called us to. Each of us in our lives, the grand way in which God has appointed us and appointed help for us to do his work because it's about him, not about us. The question is, are we following him? Are we grateful to him? Are we using what he's given for the express purpose for which he gave it? Or has there been a deviation? Has there been idolatry, as we'll see in the next chapter, all that God did in providing his intimate communication of this sacred work in the sacred tabernacle? And these people who are anointed with sacred hands to work, to raise up this tabernacle, to build every part of it, every facet, including the priest's garments. Everything was set beautifully by God, but they corrupted their way. Death resulted. But God means to recover because he gave us his word in Exodus to see what happens when God blesses us and God calls us and we see how great and good he is in spite of ourselves and our sins. He just transports us not by magic, but by miracle, because of his majesty, his magnanimous heart. That's true for all of us. And God is saying, what have you done with it? And how many of us can lament, Lord, I've corrupted my way. I haven't done what you said. I've misused what you gave, Lord. I've become proud and I've become ambitious or I've become distracted and I've corrupted what you've given. We can say, God as we continue to read in Exodus, I need to come back to you, Lord. I need to be thankful to you and obey you. Understand that everything is loaned to me. It's not mine. It's God's. Now be called to account for the stewardship. After the selection of these men, God interrupts, as it seems, with the Sabbath law and we'll understand the implications of this after reading this second section of Exodus 31. Someone please read verses 12 to 18, as Prashant read, slowly, clearly, and loud enough, please, if you have a good connection. The Sabbath law, Exodus 31, 12 to 18. Praise the Lord, Pastor. Praise um, the Lord. Exodus 31, 12 to 18, the Sabbath law. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore it is holy to you. Anyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for seven days, six days, sorry, excuse me. Work shall be done for six days, but the se seventh is the Sabbath of rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. And when he had made an end of speaking with, with him on Mount Sinai, 
he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Sabbath's law. Once again, the Sabbath was a cessation of work. It was a, a day of rest. But it was more than that. It was a sign, God says. Very important to note what God says about the Sabbath. He said, it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Six days work, seventh day rest and they ought to consider it holy to the Lord one day out of seven the Lord chose the seventh day because he himself rested from the work of creation creation and was refreshed the Sabbath is a cessation from work the Sabbath is a day of rest the Sabbath is a sign between God and the Israelites specifically given for the children of Israel and it was not carried over to Gentiles who came in to God's family nor was it continued after the Lord of Sabbath Jesus Christ came and finished the work of atonement the eternal atonement all the animal sacrifices were a temporary covering but he came and did the permanent work therefore Hebrews 4 it says that he's our rest Jesus is our Sabbath every believer is enjoying a Sabbath lifelong and for eternity and yet the principle carries over that we ought to give one day to stop working to separate ourselves from the affairs of this world, the things that we need to take care of. Focus on the Lord. Not to rush when it comes to the things of God, but to relax in the presence of God so as to become whole. And that's the other significance of Sabbath that perhaps we haven't heard that often, if at all is that the Sabbath is meant to restore to wholeness those who have partaken in it. It's a day of rest, but more than just ceasing from labor. A day of wholeness. It's a day of refreshment for the soul, for the entire being. Spirit, soul, and body, but primarily the spirit to be made whole and then the mind and the body so significant was this part of the covenant with the people that he says if people venture to work on that day they'll be separated from the children of Israel they'll actually be put to death because God says it's a day that's been sanctified don't profane it don't treat it cheap by doing your own thing. We see that in Isaiah 58 also. But he says, treat it sacred and give yourself to God in doing what he wants you to do. Don't rush to your own agenda, as people may do. Church is this many hours, and after that it's free for all. Family time and beach time and amusement parks and shopping time. According to what we read in the Holy Word, it's a day not only to stop from working and to feel better in our bodies. Hey, it makes sense. People may reason. Far more than that, it's a day to be restored. Wholeness. The connection with God to become stronger. Restored and better. By meditating on His Word, using what He's given us, to engage 
in fellowship with him and doing his work doing what he wants us to do to build our families in the ways of God to refresh ourselves in his presence when you look at the feasts of Israel that would be enumerated in the book of Leviticus later on we see that the Sabbath may be considered as one of the feasts by some because it is a day of commemoration not only of creation but of redemption that now they belong to this God who redeemed them from slavery from bondage there were nobodies God says now here's a sign that you belong to me here's a sign of our, con- of our connection not just circumcision but this sign of the Sabbath We have discussed already how for the believer our entire lives are Sabbaths. And yet the principle is that we ought to give one day and as the Lord rose on the first day of the week there's a shift that the Lord of Sabbath is the God of our lives and He has given us that eternal rest. And we commemorate that by worshipping him and setting aside the first day as has been the tradition of Christians since the beginning of the church that day we ought to train ourselves and our people our families seek the Lord it's not a time for TV or amusement but to seek God we have six days in which we are bombarded often by choice of everything that is not having to do with God often sinful things which have no part with us as believers but also for others often simply the cares of the world the Lord said deliberately push those things away and draw near to me be refreshed rest cease from labor this is a eternal sign between the believer and God that we belong to him that this one day out of the week is a type if you will of the rest that Jesus brought us into no more bondage and no more strife with sin no more losing battle with the powers of darkness but victory being able to rest and you are seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. In Hebrews chapter 4, let's turn there before we close this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. Somebody would like to read from verse 1 down to verse 10. Hebrews 4, 1 to 10. We'll see more about this rest this Sabbath for the people of God if no one would like to read Prashant if you're available or India you can read praise God Hebrews 4 verses 1 to 10 NIV version therefore since the promise of entering his rest still stands Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest and yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words on the seventh day 
God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of the disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Praise God. Praise God. Rest signifies a cessation of striving or strife. The people were preached to, but some didn't enter in. But believers have entered into the rest. Is there a future time where we are going to enter into the rest ultimately with our bodies, souls? Yes. When we finally step into the new Jerusalem, when we finally finally go to be with God, that will be the ultimate fulfillment when we go to heaven. That's a, a different stage of that rest. The ultimate fulfillment of the rest that we already have entered into. So every believer has entered into his rest. How? By obeying the gospel. By believing. If we believe that the Lord is able to save us from going to hell, if we believe that he has paid the price for our sins, we're also called to believe that he will destroy the power of sin in our lives, and he has at the cross. But to have that experience in our lives, we have to believe that his Holy Spirit will continue to sanctify us. And through his word, and through prayer, God's power will begin to unleash its potency against every vestige of sin and sinful desire left. There's a growth. Much like the children of Israel went into the land of Canaan and they had to conquer it, possess it. So only those who have his rest can have victory after victory. But those who haven't entered into the rest are those who don't believe that they can have victory. The ten spies were people who were full of strife within, with unbelief. And they contaminated the people. They corrupted the people. But Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit. A spirit that would rest, believing God's word. God is able to not only tell us what he's going to do, but bring us to enjoy it. Enjoy his provision. And here we see in verse 3, God swore in his wrath, he was very angry, provoked, that the people who continually gainsay and dwell in fear and unbelief do not believe me. They're not going to enter in. They'll never enter in. And the warning is given here that we should not be like that because among the people to whom the epistle of Hebrews was written are people who are yet to have yet to believe in that camp. But then again, the epistle is addressed to people who do believe. The warning is primarily for people who believe not to go back. So we can go from a state of rest spiritually to a state of unrest. We can opt out, we can forfeit the rest. How? 
by going back to our own ideas, how to do life and how to battle sin and all these psychological things and rationalizations. The human mind can rationalize many things and have a very intricately woven philosophical assessment of why things are happening to them and why they're reacting a certain way. I was reading something concerning research and in this particular research they happen to have an example of a, a type of research. Within that example, it was just the methodology. It was interesting that the Lord took me to read this of a secular writer, as far as I can tell, who included the sexual addictions of Christian men, evangelical men. And the struggle they had, I'm just reading a whole exposition, if you will, on the way Christian men struggle with lust and pornography. This was this particular researcher who happened to highlight this as an example. It seemed out of the blue, but I could see there was a very specific purpose. They had an agenda. They always have an agenda when they write about something. They could have mentioned anything from social science research or from um, the physical sciences, but they chose to highlight in detail about the struggle of evangelical men, single and married, and how they drafted these people for research and the minimum criteria they had to meet. They had to be born again. And I can see how the devil can use this to put down the whole provision of God's power to deal with every work of Satan to corrupt people. And there were different participants, and some of them, they rationalized within themselves as they lived this experience of battling what they know, what they knew to be right and godly with their desires. And this battle that came in between the both, the two. And some of them rationalized, well, I've been praying forever for God to deliver me, and he hasn't done it. So I'm going to enter into this alternative space in my life where it's okay to do it. Do what? Sin against God by engaging in immorality. Because I do believe in God, and I want God to help me, but he hasn't delivered me. I've been crying out to him for the longest. So I guess I'd have to live with it. And I will have a double life or an alternative life a secret space, if you will, where I'll do these things. I just can't help it. This was the viewpoint of a few of the participants. And so this researcher, she documented this. And there's another group that found that if I get married, that would solve this problem. And after marriage, they found that marriage didn't solve this either. Because the desire wasn't met by even a good spouse faithful spouse and so they continued to have a third space if you will the regular life of all human beings in society the secondary life of a married partnership and a third space that came in from the original pre-married life which is that secret space where the sin continued. Thankfully, in this secular chronicling of peoples, these people at least, and of all people, they chose evangelical born-again people. The truth is that many people do struggle with this, and it is a nightmare. It is bondage. Like the children of Israel were oppressed, except in this case there's a willful giving into uncleanness. And the person feels haunted, defeated, ashamed, fragmented within. It's a terrible way to live for any person of any age, male or female, especially those who are born again.
Why does this happen? Because the simple instruction of God to draw near, to believe God, that He will conquer this enemy, these evil spirits that are coming to incite the lust, and when a person gives himself or herself over to it, they're doomed because they can't handle it. They've gone into the enemy's territory. And so it's very important not to engage in anything, even a hint of it, it says in Ephesians chapter 5. We have to be militant, like a soldier who's been drafted to go and defend the country, the honor of a country. To be on guard, full alert for the enemy who's coming to kill him or her. Cannot afford to relent even one second. Because that's the nature of sin. It will not only corrupt, it will come to destroy the entire life. That which is beautiful that God has birthed. Brand new life, out of darkness into light. Tasted the heavenly powers, the good word of God, the good world to come. Everything. Felt God's presence. Oh, loved it. This is it. To be drawn back to what? Idolatry and morality. The secular people can approach it from a philosophical, psychological point of view. They can simply talk about the battle and see how people handle it. But as I said, thankfully there was a group that said that a return to God wholeheartedly brought the sacredness and the sanctity of uh, sexuality into the marriage where the researcher wrote that there are a group of participants who found wholeness again because they brought God into their relationship with the spouse. Well, that was the answer from the beginning. An individual must know, although marriage can solve a desire for fulfillment of that which is natural for man and woman to an extent, it will never solve the problem of corruption from within the heart. We need to go to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, here I am. I don't want to do anything, Lord, if I'm not free. And you meant for me to be free. I'm going to continue to diligently look at this, look at this holy book, this holy law. To hide the word in my heart, as the psalmist said, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Sin shall not have dominion over you. The truth is, every born-again person has not picked a religion that they like, but they've been overtaken by heaven itself to completely destroy every hold of Satan on their lives. That's the truth. Now they have to walk in it, grow up in it, own it by depending upon God and loving Him first. If God is loved supremely in the heart of any believer, He comes to sanctify the entire life. The desires actually change. And not just in one area, in every area. Till God actually tabernacles with us and we feel His presence and we see not only the cheapness, the futility, but the disgusting nature of the devil's offerings. Because it never satisfied it. It's a lie. We are called to enter into a rest. And how sad that a secular researcher would bring the plight of Christian men, any Christian, struggling with immorality, wasting the body, the energy, the resources in something that only seems to get worse and worse. And that's what sin will do. It's a pleasure, no doubt, there will be pleasure involved. The Bible says very truthfully, it has pleasure involved, but that pleasure is a ghost. It's really not going to satisfy nor last. What it will do is dig a deeper grave. so, the people who didn't enter into the Sabbath rest that God had intended 
foreshadowed by the day of Sabbath or the Sabbath day we're having these private struggles how? not believing God not trusting they always had their own plan this uh, third space second or third space where they can secretly sin oh you know what? they held positions some of them actually positions in the church they held up this image of professionalism and courtesy and uh, amicability, if you will, amiableness, being very congenial, very uh, much absorbed with citizenship values and loving one's neighbor at the surface, and even engaged in the work of God. Some justified their work for God as a means of... uh, allowing themselves to engage in what they felt they couldn't control and what they enjoyed. We know whatever the secular people and lukewarm Christians may justify that this is the way certain people deal with certain things. God says be holy because I'm holy. Perhaps God is calling someone back this morning to enjoy the rest of God the Sabbath rest of God cease from your own works don't struggle you don't have to struggle but yield to God and say Lord take over my mind once again I've given my mind away to thoughts and images that are not from you Lord they promised satisfaction pleasure but they're destroying me and I'm trapped God help me perhaps someone hearing this message later can have hope as God will give hope to those who return to him and cry out to him those who would not only cry but make it their business to follow up living life according to the pattern that he has given us through his son great high priest the Lord Jesus Christ how to present our bodies while we're alive not dead sacrifice living sacrifices to encourage one another and enjoy rest you don't have to have any secrets no secret sin you can be clean hallelujah praise God may we hold fast to this rest that we have where our lives are open books before God and before man. How marvelous that we can be taken from a society where we grew up, each of us in various ways, where the devil brought things to us and corrupted us because we didn't fight him off with the power of God. We didn't know God. And after knowing God, perhaps we've yielded to that serpent, gotten stung, bitten by him. And poison started shooting up into our lives. Jesus came in the nick of time. His mercy to tell us, look at me. You'll be made whole. Come. I have the Sabbath for you. We need to love God. Believe his word. He will defeat every addiction. It's a sad thing to hear that believers are caught up in sin. Not only is it not according to God's blueprint, there's no provision in God's blueprint for sin because He's provided everything we need for worship and victory. But people opt for that because they don't watch. They don't treasure what God has given. When we treat the things of God cheap, the counsel of God, the warnings of God, when we do what we like on the Sabbath day, and the rest of the week when we carve out a space for ourselves where we are in control we do what we want and we give God his time and maybe the spouse his or her time and the school his their time the job their time neighbors their time and I have my time what is that time? a place filled with the devil and demons in the name of technology and new things and new ventures and exciting lands a magical Disney world of corruption we went to Disney World one time 
didn't know any better at the time. It was part of a package. It was not our intention, really. We just went to get away to have some rest in a particular area. And this was thrown in there. We thought, why not? From what I recall, it was simply mouse and duck and all these things that would give some amusement from childhood memories. We went there, and I saw part of the ride with Mickey Mouse there. This was many years ago. It was a little tour of the various lands and cultures. And we saw virtually culture after culture in this amusement park with a fun kitty ride sort of adventure through the various cultures and countries of the world in a short form. Demons in the sculptures and the faces, the totem poles and the dances and the expressions. It's exactly what sin is like. It's exactly what the devil offers. Something fun, something cute, something nice, something funny, something pleasurable. Yes, it will be pleasurable. But the price is death. Therefore, that pleasure is not true pleasure. It's actually a recipe for pain. We need to turn to God. He has the real pleasure, the beautiful pleasure. And the message this morning is, if you have come short of that rest because you've opted off, or if you've never entered that rest because you never believed and yielded to God, you can come in. Because the Lord is knocking. The Lord is grieved when his children are struggling, contrary to what the devil would like to portray God as. Simply a lawgiver, standing to judge. No, God God loves us and he wants us to enjoy his rest. No striving. The only striving would be a striving to do what? Get closer to him. Love him and serve him more with the striving of the Spirit working in us, Christ working in us. No more struggle with sin to get stronger and mature by being in the Word. Go from the milk to the meat of the Word. To enjoy the Sabbath rest by fearing God and setting aside that disciplined time to seek God and being watchful, on guard, not afraid or paranoid, but like Nehemiah, while we're building the tabernacle, worshiping God and getting closer to God and being involved in the body of Christ, doing what God called us to do, corporately and individually. There's so much work to be done. There's no time for foolishness. But also, even when sin comes knocking at our door, when we're relaxing, we'll be on guard to slay it with the Word of God. Get thee hence, Satan. You don't want the things of God, but the things of man, fallen man, have nothing to do with you. Get out in Jesus' name. Enjoyment and relaxation is in the presence of God, the true rest of God. Let's determine to do something good for our souls. Well pleasing to God because He loves us. He likes to see us enjoy His riches. Let's make it our determination today to enjoy His rest no matter what. He leaves me beside still waters. He makes my soul whole again. All the fears, all the inhibitions, all the awkwardness, all of the cares of the life, all on the altar. What does God give in exchange? Come to me, says Matthew 11. All you who are laboring and your burden, you have guilt, you have problems, you have distractions, temptations, I, I will give you rest. Come. All things are ready. The rest has been prepared before the foundation of the world. All we have to do is enter in, abide with Him. Shall we pray? Hallelujah. Glory be to you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your rest. 
Thank you, Lord, that all of us, every believer is called to enjoy your rest, Lord. Now, thank you for showing us the way, Lord. We praise you, we love you, adore you. Be with our brothers and sisters who are going through various sufferings, various trials, O oh Lord. Relieve them, Lord, that their bodies can enjoy the rest too, their minds can enjoy the rest that their soul enjoys, should enjoy. Thank you for the holy blood of the Lamb of God washes all our sins away, every guilt and every shame. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We're washed with the water of the Word this morning, sanctified by your truth, by the Holy Spirit. I thank you that we're able to give good news to people because we have received the good news, entered into rest. We thank you, Lord, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.